This is Corolla Digital. Hey, you guys, it's me, Allison, from Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with this week's guest, Jason Nash. Jason, why should they listen this week? Because we find out that we were both fat kids growing up. That's right. And? And we find out about your relationship. Well, which and, is fascinating. And we find out whether the infidelity addressed in your movie has any roots in real life. Ooh, salacious. Because you're all about free love. <laughs> or are you? <laughs> Subscribe to Allison Rosen as your new best friend on iTunes or go to AllisonRosen.com. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. I love you. Allison's your new best friend. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who likes William Boyd. Hi, folks, and welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And I'm in a jolly mood. I I hope you are, too. And sometimes I'm in a cranky mood, and I certainly hope you are, too, then. But it's a nice day here. It's a little... Hot, a little muggy, as the colonel said. And muggy is kind of a fancy word for very unpleasant. It was, that means it's, it's, uh, oh, what's the word for wetness in the air? Oh, come on. Oh, everyone out there knows it. My head just can't bring, the word for moistness, wetness, humidity, the colonel just typed in. Very good. It it was humid today. It is humid today. It's sunny and hot. But here in the studio, the This Week with Larry Miller studio here in Glendale, California, you know what? It's beautiful, and we just had the best time making a show, prepping the show. And then once again, as it happens every week, and it's the big basic truth of all show business, I love that song so much, our theme song, and I love listening to it, and I love the arrangement of it. I don't know who wrote it or arranged it or who the band is slash orchestra. I don't know, but they do a good job, and that that intro, it's just fun. And they then they do. They get better every week. And of course, that's the Josh Favor Orchestra and the Cindy Flaherty Dancers, featuring boy tenor Shannon Ransom Jr. asking the musical question: Who is taking the back covers off of all of my remotes? Well, folks, every so often we well we love all the questions you sent in that are musical questions, but that one from Shannon, boy, that's a that's a bullseye there because. I always wonder that. You always wonder that. And Shannon wondered it enough to write it in. It's a terrific question. Our remotes, I mean, you could have a big movie room in your house, and you could have a thousand airplane remotes there, but boy, a month or two into owning that thing, the back cover is going to come off that remote. And where is it then? Who knows? 
So as Shannon has just asked, number one, who is taking the back covers off of all of my remotes? Well, I don't know, Shannon, but I'll tell you this, and I'm certain of this. Whoever has all the back covers off your remotes also has all these single socks from the dryer that never match up and the caps to every big pen you ever bought. That's another thing. What happens to the caps of the big pens? And the colonel just mentioned, in fact, a very interesting irony. He said, everyone who has a big pen, remember, that's my favorite comedy pen. I've got one in my breast pocket right now. And those are good comedy writing pens. But I'll tell you right now, the caps last just as long as the covers on your remotes. And boy, oh boy, you, you, can't, you can't find them. You can't do it. Why Why does that happen? I don't know. Is there anything else that gets lost? I'll tell you one thing we don't do anymore, or things that get lost, is that the mirror or the medicine cabinet in our bathroom when I was a kid in our house had a little slot in the back of the little tin metal wall on the metal cabinet, a little slot that was made exclusively for used razor blades. When the man of the house finished with his razor blade after one, three, or ten shaves, or a lot more, if he was crazy, and when you finished, you would put the used razor blade in that slot in the medicine cabinet, and it would fall into, well, just the beams of the house, to the gap in the wall there in between the, well, the sheetrock and whatever else you, you, you had in your walls. And that was thought to be quite a thing. And I remember you, I used to think, wow, what happens to the razor blades, though? That's a long time. So they just go down to the ground in your house. And then there's one, there's 10 of them. If you're in the house for 30 years or 40 years, well, how many would there be? 10, 100, 1,000? And then when someone buys the house... They ask lots of questions like, well, will the beams fall down and kill me? But they don't ask, how many razor blades do you have in your medicine cabinet? And I don't know about your homes, folks, but mine doesn't have that anymore. In in our medicine cabinet, well, that doesn't get made anymore. So what happens to the... Obviously, shaving is different. Obviously, the kinds of razors we use are different. And... Well, except for me and Colonel Jeff, no one in the world uses single razor blade shavers. Well, a lot of people in the world, I guess, but not not that many, maybe 12. And so at any rate, it doesn't have, there's not, I was wondering what else we could add to the list of uh, Shannon Ransom Jr.'s question. Who's taking the back covers off of all of my remotes? Well, the caps to the big pens, the single socks from the dryer. And maybe, just maybe, all the razor blades in the world that don't go down into the beams of your house anymore. And I feel like mentioning also Josh Favor, who conducted the orchestra this week, sent in something very witty and interesting. He said, Optimus Prime, because remember last week we had me dressed up as Optimus Prime. It may look like something that was just thrown together. By Colonel Jeff, but it wasn't. He worked on it, and uh, well, it was thrown together. But he worked on it, and it was. And he wrote on it, "Optimus Prime," 
And uh, we thought that was a very successful addition to, well, our website. And uh, as Josh Favor wrote in Optimus Prime, it should be Nominum Quid Geminus Prime. And I said, good for you, Josh. Wow, bringing that in. And for those of you who have not heard it and are not a member of the Larry Miller Drinking Society, I will just remind you that the motto that, well, that I've used before when I'm on the road, that's when you're in a hotel after one or two or three shows and you go back to the hotel you're staying and you feel like having a drink before you go up to the room and call home and turn on whatever's on the TV. So I can bring a book down to the bar and have one or two drinks and I always feel like saying, and make it, you know, make it a double. Because if it's if it's late there, they're about to close. Plus, uh, you know, a double feels like, well, it's a manly drink. It's a little more manly than a single. And the number of times, I cannot tell you, I think you know the experience when you order a double and it gets put down and the young man or the young woman behind the bar, the bartender, the publican, is pouring a drink that doesn't look like a double. It looks like a single with far too many ice cubes, far too many rocks. And I have looked for something to say to him at that moment, to say to the bartender, and Latin, Latin seemed like the best language to say it in. And we got people writing in, Latin teachers too, and folks who just knew some Latin, because... And we picked nominum quid geminus because that means in Latin, (laughs) you call that a double? And so you can say that to the bartender in the hotel, wherever you are. Do you call, when you want to say that, when you want to say, hey, buddy, you call that a double? I asked for a double. It's quarter to one. You're closing at one. I just got back from three shows and... I'm going to read a little down here. So I'm going to have one, maybe two drinks, if I can toss it down fast. And I can toss it down fast. And if I do, I want something that looks like a double. So you can say that nominum quid geminus, which is Latin for you call that a double. And then when the bartender says, what did you say? What? What was that? You can just say, oh, nothing. Do me a favor, top this off, though, as long as you came over again. Just top this off, whatever it costs, because the truth is, if you're going to have a drink, you want it to look like a drink, and you want it to feel like a drink. And it does when it's a nice double. And nice double, in quotes, translates to probably a triple. In any case, thanks, Josh. Optimus Prime should be nominum quid geminus prime. And by Amazon. That's right, Amazon. Amazon, the greatest company in the world, because whatever you order, they will send it to you. And whatever you order, they send us here at the show, Colonel Jeff, Dr. Chris, and me. They send us a percentage of what you order. Now, that's a pretty good business, and that's a pretty good deal. I love that. You order it, they send it, and they send some dough to us. So... Thank you, Amazon. Thank you, folks, for ordering from Amazon. Boy, oh, boy. And by the way, go to our website to get there. Don't get there on your own. You go to our website, open your laptop or any way you get there, and instead of typing in Amazon, 
type in our website, which is LarryMillerPodcast.com. LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <coughs> Pardon me. We have a cough button here, but I don't know where it is. And uh, I just had a bag of free planter's peanuts from the free soda machine that was put in here in the studio. And both Dr. Chris and I got free cans of Dr. Pepper. And the if the question is, oh, wow. So we looked at each other and said, hey, same, sameness, sameness, same. And the, if the question is, so you guys both like Dr. Pepper, the answer would be, we like it when it's free. How about that? If you just lined up a bunch of cans and say, would you pick your favorite soda can, one of them would probably not be Diet Dr. Pepper. But it was today, and we're happy, and it sure washed down almost 88% of those peanuts. And by PayPal. That's right, the other great company in the world that's fun to say, they've got a great name, PayPal. And you know what? It's a terrific company. It's a way of doing a lot of good in the world. And what you do is send us some of that good, and here's how you do it. Go to your favorite bar. You've got one. And go there in the afternoon, 2 or 3 in the afternoon. And when it's light or maybe there's only no one at the bar, just one or two people at the bar, and say to the bartender, say, what does a drink cost here? And when the bartender tells you, send us three times that cost. And that pays for a drink for each of us. One for Colonel Jeff, one for Dr. Chris, and one for me. So you know what? It's another great company, too. Amazon and PayPal, which brings us to, well, traditionally the favorite part of the show for me. I love jokes, and I love jokes that you can tell, that you, too, can tell. Not just jokes that I write for my act. Not just jokes that comedians write themselves for their speech patterns, for their acts, but jokes that you can share with friends and family. And that makes it the joke of the week. And I love telling or sometimes reading the joke of the week. And this one was found by Colonel Jeff. The joke of the week. And here it is. Two guys walk into a bar and sit down at a table. First of all, I love the start of that joke because, hey, sounds pretty good. Sounds like a good idea. You walk into a bar, and maybe you have an old greeting from two, three, four hundred years ago where someone would enter a bar or a pub and shout, God bless all here. And that's the way this joke starts, and I like it that way. Here we go. Two guys walk into a bar and sit down at a table. The barkeep comes over to them and asks, What can I serve you, gentlemen? So one of them says to the bartender, I'll bet you a pitcher of your finest beer that I can lick my eye. The barkeep says, Buddy, I've had guys come in here that could lick their nose, but never have I ever seen one that could lick his eye. I'll take that bet. So the guy reaches up, pulls out his glass eye, licks it, and puts it back in his eye socket. The bartender says, well, you got me. 
He brings the guys a pitcher of beer and goes on about tending the bar. When that pitcher starts to get low, the barkeep comes over again and says, Are you gentlemen ready for another? The same guy answers, I'll bet you another pitcher of your finest beer that I can bite my ear. The bartender hesitates for a moment. He looks at the guy's left ear, his right ear, and says, There's no way you've got an artificial ear. I'll take that bet. The guy pulls out his false teeth, bites his ear with them, and puts them back in his mouth. The bartender says, Well, you got me again. He brings the guys another pitcher of beer and goes back to tending the bar. A little later, the betting guy is drunk. Well, that'll happen. He gets up and staggers over to the bar and lays a $100 bill on the bar. He says, I'll bet you $100 that I can pee and fill 10 shot glasses lined up on the bar without spilling a drop on the bar. The bartender instantly says, It'll be worth $100 to see. He puts his own $100 on the bar, lines up 10 shot glasses, and steps back and crosses his arms. The drunk unzips his fly and pees all over the shot glasses, the bar, and the floor. The barkeep picks up the $200 bills now, gets out his towel, and starts to wipe it up. He notices the drunk is smiling and says... Hey, I just took $100 from you, and so that's why I'm smiling, but why are you smiling? And the drunk says, you see the guy over there I've been drinking with all this time? I just bet him $1,000 that I could come over here, pee all over the bar, and that you'd wipe it up with a smile on your face. Well, that's a pretty good joke, and Colonel and I like that one. Boy, there must be a million, if you've been a bartender, I was a bartender when I started out as a comic, but I don't think, it's not real bartending. I mean, it was, well, making drinks and everything, and it was really a day day bartender. I was there three days a week at the comic strip in New York, and it was mostly taking reservations and getting deliveries of liquor, and every so often, old friends of mine from school would come by in the afternoon And we'd say hello, and we'd share old memories, and I'd give them two or three hundred drinks for free. And uh, not really. There's a hundred, hundred and fifty. Oh, boy, I just love the whole thought of how do jokes start in bars? Where did the jokes come from in bars? That two guys walk into a bar, three guys walk into a bar, a priest, a rabbi, and a minister walk into a bar. It's a great setting. That's why I like this one. It starts, two guys walk into a bar and sit down at a table. Now, that's something I've never done, by the way. You walk into a bar. To me, you walk up to the bar. It doesn't mean, not if you're on a date. And if you're on a date, what a big spender you are. You walk into a bar. You step up to the bar. You belly up to the bar. You put a foot on the railing and wait till the bartender comes over and says, what'll it be, bud? And, boy, that's something I like to do. But any jokes you get, remember, please send them to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain, Tom Mix? Send them to us. And if they're fun and funny, you'll hear them on the air. And now that brings us to my other favorite part of the show, 
which is the Poetry Corner. That's right, the Poetry Corner. The corner of poetry that when we relax and let every great poet in the history of the world take us to a different place and show us what he or she thinks about the topic of the day. And, well, poetry is just wonderful. And when it's great, when it's written by a great poet, it does make us think. And it gives us a moment to think again and again. And I love this one, too. And uh, this was found by Colonel Jeff, by a great novelist and poet named Charlotte Bronte. And as you may know, I hope you know, she's from a family that also included her sister Emily Bronte. What wonderful writers they were from England in the middle of the 19th century. And boy, oh boy, look them up sometime. That's Bronte spelled capital B R O N T E, with a little accent, a something over it. I don't know what the French word is for that accent. Or maybe it's a German thing. It's the two dots. In any case, this is by Charlotte Bronte, and it's called Life. Life, believe, is not a dream so dark as sages say. Oft a little morning rain foretells a pleasant day. Sometimes there are clouds of gloom, but these are transient all. If the shower will make the roses bloom, oh, why lament its fall? Rapidly, merrily, life's sunny hours flit by. Gratefully, cheerily, enjoy them as they fly. What Though death at time steps in and calls our best away, what though sorrow seems to win or hope a heavy sway, yet hope again elastic springs, unconquered though she fell, still buoyant are her golden wings, still strong to bear us well. Manfully, fearlessly, the day of trial bear, for gloriously, victoriously, can courage quell despair. Isn't that nice? Well, Charlotte Bronte, God bless her, what a great writer she was. And what a great look at that. How do you like that life? It, it's such a more meaningful way of saying, you know what, life is pretty good. And uh, sometimes we feel like saying that, and sometimes we feel like saying other things. But if you feel like saying life is pretty good, look up Life Sometime by Charlotte Bronte. And there's a middle stanza there, a short one, that I just want to repeat. Rapidly, merrily, life's sunny hours flit by. Gratefully, cheerily, enjoy them as they fly. And that's good advice for me and all of you. And I'm gl glad Colonel Jeff found this. Enjoy them as they fly. So you know what? It's a good lesson. Thank you, Charlotte. Good lesson for all of us. Enjoy them as they fly. And that brings us to, well, just another great part of the show for me, the Magic Movie Moment. I love the whole concept of the Magic Movie Moment. I love movies, and you know what? As 
There's nothing more fun than being in a movie and being on a set and sitting in a chair and seeing another scene get set up and seeing your own scenes get set up. It's just wonderful to be on a studio lot and to be on a set outdoors. I remember at Universal uh, filming one of the uh, Princess Diaries movies, and we were on a set that was used in Spartacus, not the TV show Spartacus, and good luck to them. I'm glad they're a hit. I'm talking about Spartacus the movie with Kirk Douglas and so many others. Woody Strode in that, whoa, what a movie, Tony Curtis. And, of course, good Lord, Lawrence Olivier. So many Peter Ustinov in that movie. And we were we were on the, one of the sets there that were used to be ancient Rome. The steps that they could go up to to go to the Senate or to have a meeting or whatever they had. And I thought, how wonderful this is. We're sitting, we're making The Princess Diaries 2, I think that was. And I'm in seats and somebody... The, the cinematographer was explaining Panavision to me because he's a great guy, Chuck, and he works with Gary Marshall all the time. And I asked him, I said to him, because it was being shot in Panavision for this parade scene, and I said, like an idiot, say, what is Panavision, Chuck? And because he actually knows these things, he told me. But it's one of those things. It's like asking an insurance man a question about insurance, and about five seconds in, you just think, Now, why did I ask that? I can't follow any of this. I don't know what he's saying. But, folks, there is nothing more fun than the whole world of storytelling in movies. Plays are magnificent, and novels are magnificent, and everything in the world that entertains, that takes us away and brings us back, is magnificent. But nothing better than movies. And the magic movie moment is your favorite movies or one you just saw for the first time that has a scene in it or an accent in it or a relationship between two of the characters that becomes magical for you. And you know it, and you think the next time you see that movie, when you're flipping around with the remote, whether it has a back or not, and you're flipping around with the remote, and you know what? You see that movie and you think, I'm going to watch this again, not only because it's a great movie, but because I get to see my magic movie moment in it. And that's why I like this portion. And this was fun for me because over the weekend, I saw a Hopalong Cassidy movie with the great William Boyd. And that's why I mentioned him at the top of the show. This was Hopalong Cassidy Rides Again. But you know what? It was on a film fest day. And this channel I had never heard of before, I think is called Civi, C-I-V-I, I think it is. And folks, they had, they must have played five or seven or eight Hopalong Cassidy movies right in a row. And I must have watched five or seven or eight of them. And you know what? They never disappoint all the time. There's something wonderful to remember about movies. They can be high-toned and high-minded or they can look to just tell a common story in a common way. But when they're great, doesn't matter what they're telling, we can just love them. And in this case, William Boyd as Hopalong Cassidy and all these folks who made them, there were 66 Hopalong Cassidy movies made in the 1930s and the 1940s. 
1949, the studio said that's about it. We've had enough. And William Boyd, the star, and who produced the last 12 movies made of the Hopalong Cassidy, well, the egg of Hopalong Cassidy movies, he said to them he wanted to buy out the rights to the name and the storyline of Hopalong Cassidy, and he did And he made another. He took them to TV. He was one of the first fellas who decided to bring the world of movies into the world of TV. And he made, oh, so many more of these things. And the key is, folks, if you don't know the world of Hopalong Cassidy and the world of William Boyd and what he brings to it, I can't tell you how happy and how I was smiling watching this movie on Saturday. Hopalong Cassidy rides again. William Boyd was a great star of the silent movie era. He was a great hero. He was a great leading man. And then in the 1930s, somewhere around 1934-35, was the first time they came to him and offered him a part in the first Hopalong Cassidy movie that was being made, and they offered him one of the side parts in it to be uh, one of the sidekicks. And... He said, William Boyd said to the producers in the studio, you know what, I'd rather be Hopalong Cassidy. I want to be Hopalong Cassidy. And they thought about it, and they gave it to him. And they said, maybe he's right. Well, maybe he was. He plays a great tough guy, too. It's just terrific, and I enjoyed that movie so much. Plus, they had the sense to do something a lot of channels do these days. Part of it I don't like, but part of it I love, which is when the movie's over, they don't have a commercial that says, look, buy these new shoes. What they do is, as soon as the movie's over, and as soon as the credits start to roll, they start the next one. They start the next one right there. And you know what? There are some shows, Bar Rescue is a show one of my kids and I love to watch, where that John Taffer rescues the bars. It's terrific shows. And we love watching him. We love the guy. And uh, and they do the same thing on that show. He rescues a bar, and he really goes along. And he walks off, by the way, like a Western hero. He walks off into the sunset, in effect, like some of the great Western heroes. And you know what, though? What They do the same thing when that, when that episode ends, when he rescues a bar. They start another one. And you were thinking, oh, I don't want to watch another one. I thought I'd get up. And take the garbage out instead. But if you just sit there for another five seconds or ten seconds, suddenly you think, hey, look at that. There's a bar in eastern Ohio, and they're not doing well. And maybe John can help them. And, folks, that's just what happens with Hopalong Cassidy and with these movies. So what was the magic movie moment in it for me? In this case... Does the boy get the girl? You know, it's the classic old theme and the structure. Boy meets girl. Boy loses girl. Boy gets girl back. And you know what? It's never Hopalong Cassidy as a character. It's always one of his sidekicks who gets the girl, the girl in town, the farmer's daughter, the doctor's daughter, whatever it is, falls for one of his sidekicks. And it's done in such a sweet way. They really care about each other. And, you know, maybe they kiss a little or just once, but Hopalong is happy every time they do, knowing his friend, 
his sidekick got the girl. And in these movies, remember, it doesn't even... What does get the girl mean? Who knows? They don't even show you. It's not that they show like most movies or every movie or TV show today where suddenly, wow, they're in the bunkhouse in bed together. I just threw the word bunkhouse in on that, by the way. It's just a treat. So my magic movie moment is in every Hopalong Cassidy movie, he enjoys it so much when his sidekick gets the girl. William Boyd had the greatest smile and the greatest pleasure in life. And when he made all those Hopalong Cassidy movies, he had some rules. He would never do something that would offend his friends. And by friends, he meant all the kids who liked his character. You see these kids sitting on his lap in 1950, and they're thrilled and So am I. When I saw those smiles, I thought, oh, that's just great. He would never, by the way, participate in something where he was asked to sell a product that he thought would be offensive to his friends as the kids. And he would never participate in doing a show where they were going to charge money for the tickets for his friends. His friends always had to get in free. There's a guy who retired to Palm Desert. Because as he said, as he said, you know what? Because of the character of Hopalong Cassidy, he didn't want all the folks who liked it, all the fans and all of his friends, to see that he got older and then older and older again. And you know what? It was especially magical for me this week because I was in the hospital. I was at the UCLA hospital on July 4th and 5th. And on the 6th, I went home. And, boy, I must sound dramatic the way I just put it in like that. But the hospital, haven't you ever spent your life fourth in a hospital? You know, I shouldn't tease even myself because the truth is I had a high glucose. And you know what? The doctor called and said, "Uh, why don't you go to the hospital, let's say, immediately? And uh, you can get hurt. You You can die from these things. And they kept me around. I had a great room, folks. And it was on a nice floor. The nurses there and the doctors were just terrific. And that's something else that is a magical moment for you, too. In our country today, when people are wondering about how do you make medicine better, how do you get it to people, how do people get it to themselves, what do you want? You know what? The food was terrific at this hospital, at UCLA. And that sounds crazy, too. When you think of hospital food, And someone says, wow, the food was great. What? It was great? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was really, really good. And they, you're in the bed, and you have, you realize, two days, two full days and two full nights that turned into a third night. And, folks, to lie around, and I didn't even turn the TV on. I was alone in this room, and it was a nice room. It wasn't a fancy room, but everyone there liked it, and they, I liked it, too. And it looked out. It was on the. It's on the UCLA campus. It's the Ronald Reagan Medical Center, which I just told Colonel Jeff. It, it is the Ronald Reagan Medical Center, but the letters on the wall of the building that say Ronald Reagan Medical Center are about half the size of the people who paid for it. Their names are above that. A nice couple, and I, you know, I'm not embarrassing them. I, I'm glad they paid for it. I'm glad they donated the money to make it. It's a little comical, though, to to see that that. Uh, and the Sheldon and Rebecca Harness, whatever their names are. And you know what, though? 
How nice to spend time there. When have you ever had the chance to say, I was so glad to spend time in the hospital? Thank God I was I was going to be fine. Thank God I was leaving. You're on a floor, you know, where no one's leaving that floor. There are a lot of people there who are very, very sick. And they wish they could go home just like you. But that's what made it magical to me. I was in a great place. The food was great. And then on Saturday, I said to myself, well, this is silly that I've been in this place. I haven't even turned on the TV, and it was remote control. And I turned it on, and the first thing I saw was William Boyd smiling at me as Hopalong Cassidy in a great Western outfit. Colonel Jeff and I were remembering when we were boys, we had... Good Western outfits, too. He said he was a Lone Ranger kind of kid, so his parents got him Lone Ranger stuff. And my parents uh, got me Roy Rogers and Dale Evans stuff. I didn't wear the Dale Evans stuff because, of course, she's a girl. But I, I loved regular Western stuff, and my friends and I used to play. We called it Army all the time. That was just the name. Let's play Army, and we would take all our guns and uh, Western guns and spy guns, James Bond briefcases where the knife comes shooting out and you can take it out and stab. No one ever got hurt, by the way, you know. I remember once we accidentally shot Todd in the hand in a BB war. I know this sounds stupid to you, but we were boys, and sometimes stupid things happen. We, We shot him in the hand, uh, accidentally with a BB, and we took him back to his house, and he was okay, but he thought, wow, there's a BB in my hand. So we thought, because we were all scouts, and we thought, this was Cub Scouts too, we were about 9 or 10, and uh, we thought the thing we would all do as scouts is get the BB out. We all had always carried our scout knives. You've got to carry the scout pen knife with you. And if you don't understand that, you shouldn't be a scout. But the point is, we took Todd into his bedroom and held him down. He was in favor of all this, by the way. So each guy held an arm, each guy held a, a leg, and then we knew you could, well, you could you know, get the germs away from a knife. You know how. You know how. You get a match, you light a match, and you light the, you just move the, the lit match back and forth under the knife on both sides, and now... It's perfectly fine what it does. I don't know what it really does. But then we said to Todd, okay, hold still. And we gave him from all the Westerns we had ever seen, we gave him a small piece of wood to hold in his teeth. Now, again, what that does, I don't know. He held the Western. He held the wood in his teeth. Every guy had him by the arm. And one of us, it wasn't me, but one of us went down there and trying to be careful, too, you know, to cut into his hand and... Get the BB out. And uh, just as we started to do that, life is so funny. That was the exact second his mom came into his room with a stack of clean and folded underwear and towels, saw what was happening to her son, and began to scream. It was a big scream, too. It was a really big mother scream. I mean, it was a mom scream. I think she just stopped about a week ago, by the way. But it was a huge, huge scream. I wrote about this in my book, by the way, Spoiled Rotten American. It's true that she started screaming, and her husband, that's right, George, 
was a policeman on Long Island. He was a homicide detective, and he was he worked nights. He worked the night shift. So we always had a rule in Todd's house, don't do anything crazy in the afternoon that makes a lot of noise because Todd's dad has to go to work that night as a detective. And here, though, the the scream of his wife, and then we held up our scout knives to show her that this was official, that, you know, we were doing this because this was just like scouts that we were. But by holding up those knives, five or six kids holding up a knife, well, it must have looked to her like we were going to come after her. And she screamed even louder, and we kind of went, ah, 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 and we started screaming too, which is when her husband, Todd's dad, uh, the sleeping policeman came charging out of his room because he thought, God forbid, something's wrong in the house, something's wrong with the family. And he came charging out of his room, and he had a sap in his hand. A sap is, well, something that both good guys and bad guys used years ago. And what it is, a policeman could always carry a sap, which was a leather, well, a hunk of leather that at the top part has a rubber leather pouch in it into which you can put rocks or nickels or something like that or just lead and it gets pretty heavy so it's not long it's only about well six or seven inches long but if you hold that thing and you whip it around and you hit someone just behind the ear it's really gonna hurt you can kill someone with that so he came running out not armed with his gun but holding a sap he was just in the middle of a sleep a deep sleep he was Dreaming about Anne Margaret, no doubt. And he was very upset and he had his pajamas on. Real pajamas, official dad pajamas, the blue and white striped pajamas. And he had that sap in his hand. And he saw when he came out, he started to see what was happening. And then he swung, he saw the knives, he started to swing the sap. But when he saw it was just us, just the kids, he moved his body, moved his arm, moved the sap away, and actually hit himself. Not hard, but to get away from his own sap, he whipped his head around and hit the door frame to his bedroom, which in our houses were made of the fuselages of the old B-24 warplanes from World War II. Those, as you may recall, were made of lead, heavy metal, Steel, something really heavy. So when his head whipped around at about 15 miles an hour and went slamming into that door frame, which was heavy metal, folks, it made a bong that was just louder than his wife's scream. And everyone said, oh, my gosh. And I've seen something then. I saw something in his face. I've still never seen again since. It was just like a cartoon. He hit his head in. It went bong. He turned back around, and his eyes and his face looked just like a cartoon where you expected three birds to be circling around the head. with a <laughs> And he really, his eyes got a little hazy, and his knees started to wobble a little and almost cave in. And that made his wife scream again, George, ah, ah! And she sort of caught him, and his knees stiffened up again, and he stood up again, and he checked out his wife, and he knew it was her. He looked at the boys. He looked at us with our scout knives out, and he did something I still think was the smartest thing in the world. 
He walked away. He realized you can't make this better. He just took it all in, walked away and thought, maybe I can get back to that dream. And he did. He turned around. Well, must have been a great cop, that guy, because that was a smart move. And that was, well, that was official. So at any rate, there is something really important about the heroism of a guy who knows how to do that, which is why I so enjoy the whole world of Westerns like that and why I so enjoy the whole world of everything that was on that Saturday in that hospital. Mr. Ed was on. Rin Tin Tin was on. McHale's Navy was on. All black and white shows. The Deputy with Henry Fonda was on. All shows from the 50s. And I just sat there as they would come in with another injection of something and well, thank God I was getting better and I was getting along really well with all of them. And they said, you're still watching the uh, the 50s channel or something? And I said, yep. And I was just smiling ear to ear because those shows made me feel good. They always made me feel good. And I think they will always make you feel good. If you see a channel like that or you see a collection of tapes that have all those shows, take the time and watch a couple. You'll be glad you did. You and I know a lot of the same things, as you know. Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. And as always, remember... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that is still the truest thing I know. Be well, and we'll see you here next time. Sorry, <laughs> forgot who was supposed to speak.